Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is episode 44 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today we're going to be talking with my buddy Vince, Edgar Vincent Clark, as he's known down in Georgia. Today we're going to just talk all about fees. Um, he was on back on episode nine, and we kind of really just talked about a lot of financial stuff with fees and MBS. And then we had uh, the wonderful Selena Reese from Carolina Fees was on episode 18, and we talked about how to start a fees program in your hospital. But we really just haven't had a down and dirty talk about kind of all the cool things that fees can do. I think there's still a lot of misconceptions out there, and people think it's this horrible, huge, gigantic hose that we're shoving down people's noses, and it's not at all like that. So um, we're going to kind of get candid. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I do fees all day, every day, so I just know it, and I love it, and I don't want this podcast to be all about fees all the time because there's so much other cool stuff to talk about in dysphagia land, but we're 44 episodes in, and Vince convinced me that it's time to sit down and talk about it. So here we are. So um, let's see. I've got like so much to blab about today. So I hope you guys, <laughs> I hope you guys are excited to hear me. Um, first and foremost, it is Dysphagia Awareness Month. I hope everybody's doing things in their facilities. I encourage you guys to get out and advocate and have conversations, have in-services with your nurse colleagues, with your docs, with your dietitians, with your respiratory therapists. Just talk to somebody about dysphagia and all the cool things that we can do. So I've started to post a little bit more on Instagram. I mean, I know I feel like I'm on Facebook all the time, but people have encouraged me to kind of share a little bit more of my personal side and my business side. So I've been posting more on Instagram. So you can follow me, Teresa Richard SLP. It's T-H-E-R-E-S-A if you can't ever find me, but it's written everywhere. And it's Richard with no S. Teresa Richard, but then there's an S and SLP. So anyways, um, come find me, come follow me there. But what I'm doing for June for Dysphagia Awareness Month I want you to screenshot listening to this episode. So screenshot either yourself or the episode or pick any episode. Could be your favorite episode. Doesn't have to be this one. Just screenshot it, take a picture, and post it with hashtag swallow your pride podcast and tag me in it. So hashtag swallow your pride podcast tag at Teresa Richard SLP. And what I'm gonna do at the end of the month is I am going to give one lucky winner a free one-year membership to the Medical SLP Solution. So um, I encourage you guys to get out there and get posting these episodes that you love listening to and hashtag Swallow Your Pride Podcast and tag at Teresa Richard SLP and I will randomly pick one lucky winner to receive one free year membership to the Medical SLP Solution. Oh, also, in going with uh, Dysphagia Awareness Month, the MedBridge deal is back. So, uh, those of you that have been messaging me, emailing me, when is the MedBridge deal going to come back? It's back for the month of June. So, 
if you uh, are looking for that free upgrade to their premium plan. Uh, it is only 95 bucks for the entire month of June. There's unlimited CEUs. There's some incredible researchers on there that are talking about their work and just helping to educate all of us. And you get unlimited access to, you get unlimited CEUs, unlimited access to all those. And along with that, you get the home exercise builder, which is really cool because you can print out some cool patient handouts, print out some exercises for your patients. They can log on from home and see what you've kind of these little animations of what you've assigned them. So really cool interaction and engagement with your patients. And there's also a mobile app that goes along with that. So you get the access to the unlimited CEUs, you get the home exercise builder, there's patient handouts and the mobile app. You get all of that for one full calendar year. So if you sign up tomorrow, it expires a year from tomorrow. And that is 95 bucks. It's regularly like 400 or something crazy like that. And a few people have asked me if any of you guys are grad students, there is a student one. So if you don't need the CEUs, you just want access to all the goods, use promo code SYPSTUDENT. So if you're a student, use SYPSTUDENT. If you are not a student, you can use promo code SYP. Or you can go to www.medbridgeeducation.com forward slash SYP uh, to learn more about all the features in that. So if you do use those links, I do get a small commission that goes right back into this podcast to keep it pumping out for you guys every week. So take advantage of that deal if you can. And let's see what else is coming up. Um, I am so excited and beyond honored and flattered to be speaking at the Charleston Swallowing Conference next month in May, Um, talking about blogs and podcasts and how to advocate for our profession, and I'm so excited. So I know a bunch of you guys have said you're going to Chicago, you're going to, it's called the Charleston Swallowing Conference, but it's in Chicago, I know, so trippy, right? Um, So if you're going, I'm so excited, come say hi, I'd love to say hi, and... Yeah, so one one thing, I know you guys email me about your kind of gripes and things, and it's interesting when our friends from across the pond, um, <laughs> but this is like way across the pond. Australia is not just like across the pond, it's super far across the pond. Um, I got this email from, from a woman, and I, you know, we conversed, we emailed back and forth a few times, and she was concerned with my lack of support for feeding tubes. And I just wanted to clarify that point because I know sometimes, um, you know, polarity is a big thing in this. And sometimes we, we seem like we're taking these hard stances, but there's kind of a point to it all. So I know sometimes we say on here and sometimes my guests will say like, you know, feeding tubes don't prevent aspiration. So we should never be, you know, asking for feeding tubes. Feeding tubes are horribly bad. So That's not the stance that I ever want to take because I do know that feeding tubes absolutely have a role in some of our patients' lives. And I know there was an episode we did a while back with Tiffany Turner and kind of the ALS population and how some of those patients are getting pegs. And I know we have children that need pegs. I I absolutely understand the importance of feeding tubes. However, Here in America, so for our listeners across the pond, we almost have this epidemic, and I'm going to call it an epidemic because I don't know what else to call it. That word just popped in my head. But some patients are just being evaluated at the bedside by a physician or a speech pathologist and just saying, nope, this patient can't swallow. Let's get them a feeding tube. And there are a lot of these patients that sometimes really just need an instrumental assessment and they're not getting it and they're getting a peg. And that's not cool. So that's why 
I emphasize and a lot of my guests overemphasize that that shouldn't be our first line of attack. Sometimes some of these patients have to get alternate means of nutrition. I understand that. We really should do our due diligence and not write them off immediately. And if they can participate in an instrumental, then let's go ahead and do that. If they do really need alternate means of nutrition, then that's totally fine. But I don't think that should be our first line of defense. And so I just wanted to clarify that because that's kind of what's going on here. And when I had that email exchange back and forth with her, she was like, I had no clue that people actually would just do that, would just do a bedside exam and say they can't eat and get them a tube. And it does happen. It happens a lot. So that's really just all where I was coming from with that. So I hope I don't ever want people to think that I have this hard stance against tube feedings because I understand their importance in some situations. So that's my little soapbox. (laughs) That's my uh, soapbox moment for today. So I wanted to thank you for writing that to me. I super, super, super appreciate it. I'd love to have these open dialogue conversations. I'd love to get some more of you guys across the pond on this podcast. So anybody from the UK, from Australia, I was just looking at some stats the other day. We have like a a group of people from Austria that listen. So thanks to Austria, that's pretty stinking cool. So if there's anything that I say that you think is like wildly way off, you know, please let me know because there's probably a reason for for the way that we're saying it. So yeah, okay, that's all for my soapbox moment for today. And we will get into the episode with Vince. Hello. Hey, Teresa, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Um, I'm doing great. Long time no see. Long time no see. I know. I just saw you a few days ago. That's right. No, not. Seems like an eternity. It does. It does. Um, we just always pick up right where we left off. I know. Do you want to tell everybody what we did last weekend? Yes, we went to, um, oh gosh, the name of the hospital escapes me. We went to St. Louis to... It was Barnes Jewish Hospital. Barnes Jewish Hospital, um... No one from Barnes Jewish Hospital, please be offended that I forgot that. It's it, it's good. Uh, my brain is on overload, so um, things tend to leak out of it lately. But yes, we went to Barnes Jewish Hospital in St. Louis and did a, a full day CEU course. Um, basically, a little more ad- advanced fees information for people that are already providing fees in an acute and ICU, and I think they do outpatient as well, setting. We had an an audience um, of everything from uh, long-term care providers to ICU, so, so, and everything in between. So it was, it was a great, it was a great mix and a a really enjoyable day. I have to say it, um, I didn't anticipate it to go poorly, but it went by any means, but it was a great day. It was just, a, yeah. you know, obviously we connected with a lot of people. So, yeah. So have a, do you remember the title? Beyond the basic examination, flexible endoscopy as a primary tool and swallowing assessment. All right. I just really liked the title. I thought it was really good and catchy. Um, right. And so we did the CEU, um, as it was explained to me, they were, Wanting some more ideas about possibly when, how, and 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 what the purpose of doing more fees would be in in their acute environment, acute and ICU environment, and I think we certainly certainly covered that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's hard because like both me and you are so entrenched in the fees world, so we just right. like 
assume that everybody knows everything that we know. And then kind of as we were sharing our knowledge, it was like, oh, wow, I guess I don't want to say people go through the motions, but it's like they they get this job. They you know know that they should get fees trained, but then they don't really know really the wide scope, no pun intended, of what can really be done with fees and, you know, really the power that it gives us back as SLPs. No pun taken. But <laughs> um, yeah, and, and that's where this conversation came from is uh, maybe it's time to, to sit down with your audience and talk about what fees can truly do in their practice. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, I know it has certainly changed probably my entire system's outlook on how people do swallowing uh, within, uh, you know, our 90 locations in Georgia. Things have really changed a lot in what is unbelievably our fifth year of doing fees in, in Georgia. Crazy. It's crazy. It's like a snap my fingers and um, boom, here we are. So Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, and it's hard because we've been doing things as a profession a specific way for so long. And right. kind of trying to break the mold of that is is hard to, you know, not really tell people they've been doing it the wrong way, but just convince them that we have a new way of, you know, accessing our patients and bringing something to them that can be a little more accessible than. Well, it's, you know, it's, and, it, and now it's even hard for me to say that it's a, a new or, or uh, right. way, you know, right. I mean, I think, I think we have to also look at ourselves as a profession and say, you know, here's a, here's a tool, here's flexible endoscopic examination of swallowing that has in some form been available to us since um, the late 80s and has been well-defined since the early 90s and a scope, part of our scope of practice. And, um, you know, it's only now that we're really picking it up and moving full steam ahead. And, and I have some ideas about, about why that is. I think it's a, a change in the overall healthcare system um, I think it's a change in the availability. I think that it is a change um, as we see every day um, in the various Facebook groups and social media groups that we're on about people's expectations about what an examination is. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing, and I think fees has really helped to to drive those higher standards forward. Yeah, recently. yeah, absolutely. I um I think I told this story before, but I don't remember if I did or not. So my son had to see a, a specific specialist, and I called to make an appointment for him. And the first thing they said was, well, did he go for this test? And I said, well, no, it's kind of invasive. I don't know that I want him to go for it. And he said, well, the doctor won't see him unless he goes for the test because the doctor doesn't have x-ray vision and won't know what's going on. And I was like, well, that's kind of a, like a reality check. There you go. You know, I was like, that's I feel like that's kind of what I preach every day. Yet now, you know, I'm on the other side of it saying, I don't know, this is invasive. And then, you know, I feel like it was kind of the same way that my patients like, or, you know, that I talk to my patients all the time and tell them it's not, you know, people call it invasive. But I think the, the key word that I've hit. Um, is really just saying it's uncomfortable. You know, I'm going to stick something up your nose. It's weird. It might not feel great, but it doesn't hurt. It's just weird. Right. So, and and uh, you know, one of the things that it's hard to it's hard to explain this to patients a lot of times. But one thing that I tell other professionals is, um, you know, if you're doing fees, it is minimally invasive. That is actually yeah. how it is. How it is. Defined. Defined. It's a minimally invasive procedure. Uh, you know, we, we think about 
nurses inserting G, uh, NG tubes all of the time. Blindly. Blindly. And we don't have this this repulsed reaction sometimes we get from people when we talk about fees for some reason. And we've got a camera on the tip of our scope and know exactly where we're going and can avoid all of the obstacles to get where we need to be. And then, right. um, and then if we're doing it right, we don't get near their airway unless it's intentionally. Right. So, you know, fees is definitely um, a comfortable experience for the vast majority of people that I do the procedure on. Yeah. Well, I think what's so important too is, is an experienced fees clinician knows how to handle the scope. Right. You know, we know to stay in the lower turbinate, which has the least amount of sensory receptors. Right. Um, and, you know, you kind of know how to navigate it. And I think I hate when I read some of these, you know, I, I love the fees courses, especially the ones that I help out with. And I love that we're getting, you know, passes on people and people are experiencing experiencing it but then i hate sometimes when some of our slp colleagues will say well i went to a fees course and i had it done on me and it was the girl's first pass and it was the most painful experience ever you know so so that's what they convey to their patients now and it's like okay but this was literally the first time that someone was sticking a scope in your nose like please do not and think probably, that that's probably the first time they were doing it right and right so, and so what do you expect um right. but yeah most of i I, I very rarely have um, a pain reaction. Typically, you know, if there is any um, reaction, it's an anxiety reaction. Yeah. And, yeah. and once, and, I, and I've really learned how to talk the patient to where I need them to be for the most part. And as soon as I get everything where I, where, where I need it to be, you know, I'm like, that's it. We're there. We're, we're there. Yeah. You know, you're not going. There's not going to be any surprises. Everything, you know, nothing's going to change. There's not going to be any um, anything different. And they typically calm down. You do the exam, um, and and you're out of there. And and most of the time, my my response post exam is that was not uncomfortable at all. You know, yeah. they, they, yeah. they, they always say I thought it was going to be much worse. Yeah, it'll be much really worse. And 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 any time, I don't think I've ever had anybody that I've needed to do a second exam on uh, decline me. Right. Um, you know, once they've once they've done it, it's you know, it's cake. They, yeah. They don't have any problems from there on out. I think sometimes too, we have to look at like the forest among the trees, right? Like the reason we're doing this is to get a picture of their swallow and hopefully be able to upgrade their diet, which is all that they want. You know, so sometimes if the patient did have a lot of anxiety going in or something at the end, we're able to get them off the thickened liquids or, or whatever, you know, whatever our goal was that day. And the patient, I feel like usually says like, Oh God, I thought that was going to be so horrible, but I don't have to drink that thickened stuff now. So it was all worth it. Yeah. You know? So it's like, sometimes I think like as SLPs that, that don't do it all the time, that's really all that they are concerned about. They think it's the pain and it's not really ever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we have to realize and remember what we're there for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, you know, again, it is, um, I, I, I typically, I think I'm a, I think I'm personally a pretty good salesman for it too, because when, when we come in, to do a, uh, when I come in to do a fees, you know, I'm talking the positives up to the patient as much, as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and I'm sitting here thinking, uh, I'm going through the different types of patients that I see 
in my in my brain here. And you know, I see some really sick people. Getting a scope is is often the least of the of the inconveniences that they've had that day. So um, you know, for for them, it's it typically leads to something something more positive. Yeah, and and to that note. I think sometimes, or I know we see it a lot on Facebook, like I would never do that to my patient with dementia, or I would never do that to my psych patient. Right. You know, I scoped a guy the other day, um, you know, schizophrenia in a psych ward, and yeah. he did, he just had no sensation whatsoever and didn't even feel it and was completely compliant the whole time. You know, so I just, I know I always say don't write off our patients, but we can't make these blanket statements that well, I, I would never do I it on a patient totally, with. I think it's very, I think it's short-sighted, honestly. Yeah. You know, in the in the in the short run, if I do a five to ten minute fees procedure that allows them to um, be less dehydrated and eat a, a more normal diet, or be uh, or, or be placed on appropriate medication to control reflux by a physician, my goodness, the the five or ten minutes of of minimal discomfort that they went through far outweighs. Um, you know, it's far outweighed by the positive results they're going to have for until they need another exam or whatever's going on. If you are looking for a true high-definition endoscopy system created specifically for SLPs by an SLP for conducting fee studies, please consider our wonderful sponsor, EndoHD. EndoHD can be a case-portable system as well as a carded system depending on your needs. Additionally, EndoHD representatives can help clinicians set up their fees programs. So contact them at www.ndohd.com forward slash contact for more information. That's www.ndohd.com forward slash contact for more information or to discuss your specific fee systems requirements, pricing, or to request a live product demonstration. Gosh, I can't remember who it was that said this. Um, I, wish it, I wish it would pop in my brain. But I recently heard one somebody say that, you know, as we move forward in our profession, we have got to start thinking more like um, physicians think mm -hmm. about these issues um, and realize that, you know, sometimes that minimal amount of, of discomfort or perceived um, aggravation just is outweighed in the end. Yep. So. Completely. I think that's just my big thing. And I know some of the girls last week were talking about that too at the, the CEU course that we were at. You know, they even admittedly said that there's some, you know, groups of patients that they don't think that they would have done fees on. But kind of the more that they heard us talk, you know, maybe I should have tried it, you know, right. and, I, and I always say there's no harm in trying. Right. You know, I know, I mean, I do my own company. If I don't, if I don't get a pass, I don't charge, you right. know, and, and that's on me, but that's the risk that I'm willing to take because I'm pretty confident that a very high percentage of the patients are going to comply. And I'm, and I'm sure that you'll, I'm sure that you'll put the, um, the safety literature up again for show notes. Uh, yes, I at, can do that. At, at the end of this presentation. But, but what we have to remember is, is that fees is such a well-researched procedure when it comes to safety, we can have a conversation with a primary care provider that this thing that I'm about to do to your patient is not likely at all to cause any harm. Yep. And if anything does go wrong, it is minimal in nature. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's 
it's pretty amazing that that I even encounter people now that, oh, I mean, I, I, it's like they're terrified of what's going to happen to their patient during the fees. And what the literature tells us is that basically nothing bad happens. Right. You know, the one right. or two, um, you know, laryngospasms that, yep. that, that have occurred in the literature. Um, and then the rest is uh, uh, nosebleeds that stop on their own. Yep. And, and so um, there's not a lot of serious danger to talk about. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, a, it's, it is, um, and statistically, when you're looking at, at those issues, um, you've got to round up to get to even a 1% instance of anything yep. occurring. Yep. So, you know, to me, that's a, it's a non-issue. You know, yeah. your, your patient is in a much greater risk of safety problems, safety issues by not having appropriate visualizations done right in the end right so well i think i think somebody had said that too they were at a they attended a fees course recently and and someone ended up with a bloody nose and it was like the person kept scraping me kept you know scraping me and it's like well you have to remember that these people are extremely inexperienced and we're all there to learn together but that doesn't mean that you know once you can you know get all your passes and once you start actually working on patients you're going to know things to avoid at that point you know right yeah i um I actually, and I, I'm actually sure that, you know, by um, by doing fees a lot of times, you know, you're figuring out where these patients are having um, a, a lot of noses, uh, particularly in, the, I do an LTAC setting. I do some um, skilled nursing facilities that have a, have a sicker population in them than the normal uh, SNF. And almost all those noses have where you can see, you know, dried, bloody secretions for yeah. other reasons. Um, they've been on oxygen, they're dry, they're dehydrated. Um, Fees is helping to alleviate those issues. Yeah. So in the, in the long run, you're alleviating the issue that um, Fees is not really causing in the first place to most patients. Yeah. So... Anyway. Do you ever use saline, Vince? Like, if you need to clear, clean out a nose, do you ever use saline? Um, uh, short answer is, is yes. I mean, you know, uh, we we go to the nurse, and and um, even for something like saline, that you know, it's just for those that that may not know, um, is just sterile salt water. We we still would you know request it as an order or whatever um, yep. as needed. Um, for the most part, you can just get get them to blow their nose if they can do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, saline's a good good go to. Yeah, I just wanted to share that because I know someone said last week that they, you know, sometimes you do get those really hard, crusty noses, and they don't even oh, yeah. know if they should attempt it. So I was like, yeah, have them blow yeah, their had, nose. I've See if the nurse some, can grab but, some know, saline. Had to, had to yeah. do some some mining on them. Yeah. Kind of tap your way through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What about a deviated septum? Can you do fees on someone that had a deviated septum? Sure. You just go to the other side. There you go. That's right. I, I love when people say, I went to a guy the other day and he's like, you're not going to get that thing in my nose. I got a deviated septum. And I was like, that means you have a huge opening on the other side. That's great news. And he was like, oh, damn it. Like he was trying everything to get <laughs> right. out of it. But yeah. Um, I, th- I mean, I do have... Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of patients in the uh, more acute settings 
Um, I see a lot of swelling, you know, but uh, even in those noses, you know, uh, don't have a lot of trouble, you know. I, I, I tend to get through. I've, I've yeah. had, there's one patient that I can think of, and this is, this is out of five years that um, their, their openings, sinus openings on both sides were so restricted that I could not pass the scope on, on that patient. And they were, and they were also very um, hyponasal as well. I mean, I could hear that something was going on before I ever uh, approached them. There was very little resonance um, in their voice. And uh, I, I don't know if it was um, as a result of the current illness they had or if that's just the way they were made, but I could not. I was, I, I probably could have forced it through, but yeah, I felt yeah. like, but I felt like I would have caused her so much um, discomfort that I just, we just chose to, to send out for a modified barium swallow study um, yeah. in that case. So, do you use a pediatric scope or do you use a regular size scope? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe when we the scope I have is the standard scope that comes with the NDO HD system, and I feel like I was told that that qualified as a pediatric scope, but I do know they make smaller scopes as well. Okay, so yeah. I think you uh, use the three point four millimeter, and they do make a two point seven okay. millimeter now. Which, if you think about it, that's half a millimeter, you know, so uh, some people like freak out, like I know some of these courses that I, you know, help with, they're like, I won't get scope with the big scope, I'll only do the teeny tiny pediatric scope. And it's like, it's real. it's a half a millimeter. Like, I promise right. it's really not, you know, this drastic difference. But also what people don't understand is with the smaller pediatric scope, then the image is smaller on the computer screen. So it's harder to see. So, you know, think of adding that much more to see the larger picture. Now I do know there's some companies, I can't think of who it is, but some company now it has the pediatric scope. The image is blown up the whole diameter of the computer. Is it the whole width of the computer? Is it those with the chip tips? I, I honestly can't remember which company it is. I'm not sure, but um, so that's what some people don't, don't realize too. So they'll, gotcha. they want the pediatric scope and then they get the image of it and it's this teeny tiny circle on a computer screen and they can't see it across from the patient. So, you know, yeah, you're going to get all up in arms over half a millimeter. That's right. That's yeah. Right. All right. Let's talk about, like, why, like, how did you get started doing fees? Why do you love fees so much? So my, my background is that um, I've, I've worked with Integra Rehab uh, in Georgia since 1999. I came out of school in 98 when um, the prospective payment system for Medicare Part A sniff stays was going into effect and immediately uh, lost my job in, in long-term care. And then I went into uh, the schools for, for six months to finish my uh, clinical fellowship year. And then my plan was to move, get, get, go to a hospital, whatever. And then I ended up working for Integra at, at, at that point. So I've been in skilled nursing other than that six months and another seven month stint in acute care, um, about halfway, about 10 years later, 
Um, I've done long-term care and I've done it on, on, we're technically a contract company. We go in and provide therapy services and manage therapy services within the long-term care uh, facilities and um, that we, that we contract with. And um, so that, that is, that is the environment and setting that I'm used to, which means that I'm that therapist that, that we that we often read on online about that says, oh, I have so much trouble getting a modified barium swallow study. The administrator doesn't want to pay for it, or um, the closest hospital is two hours away, and there's no way to get the patient there. So I've I've lived all that. I've I've done all that, and 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 honestly, it, it hasn't been as bad as what what some people um, experience. Um, for the most part, I've, I've always been able to get testing when I needed it. And um, around 2000 and it's all blurring together now. Um, around 2005, I made a point to get trained to do modified barium swallow studies. And then I helped Integra um, get contracts. I think we were probably in like five, four or five hospitals doing modifieds um, fairly close to my location in Georgia. So this long drawn out story has a point. I, I am getting to it. And the point is something kind of disturbing started happening around 2010, 2011. And that was these modified barium swallow study locations and programs started going away. Um, and again, uh, I'm, I'm in rural South Georgia for, for people that um, are familiar with, with where I'm from. I'm about halfway between Macon and Savannah. And, uh, you know, just a lot of, it's a, it's a farmland, lots of pine trees area. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's here. And so uh, in, in Georgia, um, most counties had their own hospital. But, but that started changing and started changing rapidly um, around 2010. And the state of Georgia stopped saving these closing hospitals. They just allowed them to close. So uh, the hospital in my hometown closed down. So we lost the ability to do uh, modified barium swallow studies easily um, in that location. And then... One of the, you know, I don't, I don't want to name names or embarrass anybody, but uh, another hospital close to me um, started having significant trouble paying their bills. And so we tried to work out things with them, but just couldn't. And we had to pull out um, of that setting. Uh, you know, it turns out that, that they hadn't, that they didn't know how to do billing correctly. They hadn't been getting paid to do modified barium swallow studies for, years and didn't know how to correct it, didn't understand how consolidated billing worked. So their, their program kind of fizzled out. Um, and then another location, they uh, just chose to, when their fluoro equipment um, became unusable, it was not financially viable for them to fix it. So, so Within like three years, three locations within an hour of me, an hour and 15 minutes that did provide that service stopped providing that service. 
And I started realizing that we were going to have more and more trouble as we moved into the future. And sure enough, we are getting a modified barium swallow study um, in the state of Georgia uh, when a patient needs it. So um, I can think of now from, from Savannah to Macon, the area I'm in, um, before you get to Savannah or Macon, there's there's maybe two hospitals that do that do modifieds. So I remember approaching my organization in 2011 and saying, "Hey, we need to look into this fees procedure. You know, it it apparently is more portable now, uh, and, and it seems like something that would be great for our system." And, uh, you know, I, I got the typical, yes, sure, we'll look into it response at the time. And um, all of a sudden, a year later, uh, they were gung-ho, ready to, to explore fees and um, what we could do in the system. So, so we started out slow, and we basically built um, a fees program from the ground up and uh, worked on that part of it for about a year and then did a trial run in 15 buildings for another year. And then after, after that proved positive, um, went pretty much statewide with it in 2013, I think. 2013, 2014, I'm somewhere in there. And, um, it, and it's only grown. I mean, we're ready. We've now hired a third person um, really ready, I think, to hire a fourth and a fifth um, at this at this point, um, and uh, it just continues to grow and make a financial difference, a financial and and uh, care difference in all the buildings that we're in. So that's that's how I got involved with fees. Yeah, I love that. I love it. And, and I think like for me, I think what I love so much is that we yes. completely have the power back in our hands. You know, we don't have to rely on radiology. We don't have to rely on hospitals. There's a tool that we need. We need to look at our patient's swallow. We have the tool. We, we very we have much the experience. Um, we have the training. We can look at it. Which being, being a contract provider, I did have the flexibility of trying to work with the different hospitals that I provided modifieds for. Um, and, you know, I know we always say this as a caveat. Us having this conversation today is in no way meant to downplay the importance of, of having access to modified barium swallow studies. Um, it's, it's just, you know, I think me and you both thought that it was probably time to have a conversation about fees, you know, and, 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 the, and the power that we have in yeah. being able to do yeah. fees. So. Um, you're absolutely right. You know, I don't ever have to worry about when is Dr. So-and-so going to show up from South Carolina because he only comes one day a week to radiology or um, is the barium in today? Do we have enough to do the test or um, will Miss So-and-so fit in the machine? You know, all those types of issues yep. um, uh, don't exist for me anymore doing doing fees. Um, um, you know, for, for the yeah. most part, the logistics 
is yep. so much easier. And that is, you know, to me, um, probably the number one selling point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I talked about this case last week in our fees course. And then I, I was talking to one of the SLPs at the place about it, yes. but I think it just, it gives us options. You know, I mean, if you have, if you have the ability to do modified barium swallow studies, that's great, but not every patient is going to cooperate right. with that the same way. Not every patient may cooperate with fees. So it just really, you know, we're able to, you know, open the bust the gates wide open with options now. And I talked about this one patient last week. She, she was completely combative. Um, and she, right. basically they just had her on Ativan all day because she was so combative. Um, they got her every time they tried to get her out and she'd been NPO from a CVA for about six months at this point. Um, and they, every time they had to get her in the van to get her to the hospital, to get a modified barium solid study, she'd get so agitated in the van and then they'd get her behind the C-arm and she started punching it every time. So the facility at this point had paid to get her out for three modifieds that she didn't participate in. So that at this point, I think the modifieds were $2,000 at this hospital. So they had paid $6,000 to get this patient right. a swallow study that she would never participate in. I went in. And so, of course, they just were at their wits end and said, you know, maybe we try a fees. But of course, you know, so many people said there's no way she'll participate in a fees. But I was able to bring the equipment into her room. She didn't have to leave and get on the van and get all agitated. Um, her, her husband was there. He, you know, tried to calm her. She tried to get a little combative with me, but he calmed her down and wow. she participated and she did wonderful. And we got her to eat again. So I think it just, it opens up our options, you know? So if you do have access to modifieds, that's great. But if it doesn't work yeah, out, now you have absolutely. plan B. And so, you know, the proof is, the proof is in the pudding and again, no pun intended, but um, in that, in the buildings I'm going to now, uh, so many of them have almost completely eliminated uh using thickened liquids and 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 you know one of the things they tell me is oh you know we don't we have near the altar dots that we used to have our our um there was one building in particular that told me that um they were in the positive for their kitchen budget one year you know because we started doing fees and eliminated thickened liquids that's money that's money that can be used for other things like raises or you know patient care items mm -hmm. or uh, resident care whatever it may be um so you know it's 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 again logistically and financially i, I just kind of keep being amazed at how um being able to provide fees to to these buildings has, has made such a huge difference yeah yeah i know i there's um a building that i do fees for and the I believe when I first started, there was 24 patients there on thickened liquids and it was just, you know, they had gotten, you know, discharged from the hospital before they could get a modified done or they were sick and they, you know, they were real sick and they got a modified done and it was, you know, puree and nectar or something. But then they get to this facility that the closest hospital is an hour and a half away. So a lot of times these patients were just opting to not even go for the modified because they didn't want to sit in the van for an hour and a half. Um, so basically when I went in there, they just wanted me to start doing fees on these 24 right. patients that had been on thickened liquids for God knows how long and do they still even need them. So by the time I got done with that list of 24, only four actually needed the thickened liquids. 
And then the SLP came in and did exercises with the others. And I went back and did repeats. And there was only one person that still needed to be on the thickened liquids. Um, so she actually called me or she sent me an email about a week or two ago that the owner went in and just carried out cases and cases of thickened wow. liquids that he was donating to another facility across town because they no longer needed it. And he could not believe the amount of money that they had saved on thickened liquids. You know, so I think when people say, oh, but there's a cost to that, there is a cost to that. But you have to look again, look at the wow. forest among the trees. We have to look at the big picture. Spend a little money look, here, look at, and we can um, save a time. I, I would encourage so. uh, any of the anybody listening to this uh, conversation to go back to uh, Doctor Aviv's podcast and and listen to his podcast and to listen to Eric Blicker's uh, particular podcast and realize that. When we're doing things to people without having a firm diagnosis, we are typically always wrong in in our assumptions, and we overdiagnose them and basically give them care that they don't need, which translates into spending dollars that we necessarily shouldn't be spending on that patient. Uh, so. You know, and yeah. again, it's not, it's it's not about the money. It's about that money being used so much better somewhere else. You know, so so just doing being yeah. able to do the appropriate testing is is uh, so paramount to to the patient's care. When I say like, I I always say this now that nothing surprises me anymore because everything surprises me. You know, we do our, you know, clinical bedside exams. We do our cranial nerve exams. We get a hypothesis of what we think the patient's going to present with. And then we go in there and it's something completely different or it's not along the lines that we thought it was. So just so many times, you know, the SLP will always ask me, did you expect that? And, you know, no, I didn't expect that, but nothing surprises me anymore because we yeah, really just absolutely. don't know until we get down there and see what's going on. Yep. All right, so it's time to do some myth-busting here, Vince. Um, okay, so <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm convinced that I want to use fees because I've heard that the MBS is the gold standard. Right. Um, so the modified barium swallow study, I think the best way to put it was it was first, but because it was first, it got to define what a swallow study was and it kind of got to make the rules starting off. And uh, I don't think it was until fees started popping up that all of a sudden the modified barium swallow study was, was defined as the gold standard for swallowing examinations. And uh, I think the best way to put it to be most fair to both tests is that they both have their strengths and they both have their limitations. And some people want to say um, both exams are gold standard examinations, but I'm but I'm more of the uh, I'm more of the take that neither test is a gold standard examination. Um, I think that's the best way to put it because they both um, they both have their limitations 
that keep them from being gold standard examinations. And probably if you wanted to get a gold standard result, you'd be talking about a combination of uh, bedside modified barium swallow study fees and probably manometry, you know. So th the, the truth is, is that All right. if someone says the modified barium swallow study is the gold standard, that should not be considered um, a true statement. All right. Um, at, at this point, as we understand visualizations. Well, I think just in um, Dr. Langmore's paper that she wrote for the Dysphagia Journal last year, in two, I think it was like March 2017 edition, she talks right. about even though the modified barium solo study was first, it doesn't always right. mean being first doesn't always mean you're the best, which is kind of, you know, what you were saying along the same lines. Um, and I think she does a good job there of talking about kind of the history and where it came from. And, you know, even I just, I, you know, I feel like, like we talk about fees has been around for so long, but it's really just gaining popularity in the last couple of years too. But I think people don't realize that the technology has exploded. Yeah. And I, I was told uh, flat out by, by my professor, my voice professor, um, you know, we were, we were demonstrated, uh, stroboscopy or, or endoscopy while I was in grad school, but we, but, but we were told don't expect to use this unless you're in a university setting or you're in a doctor's office that can, that can afford it or has room for it. And, and literally this unit was, you know, a small refrigerator. I mean, you're, you're not going to be toting that around with you from building to building. So um, it's very it was impossible for me to imagine that one day this would be built into a laptop. Right. And it continues, continues to shrink. Right. Well, it's one SLP that I do fees for in her um, skilled nursing facility. Now she worked at a local hospital and I think it was, she said she had gotten trained like 20 years ago or something. And they had this huge tower in the hospital. So when I came in and so she had kind of always, not really been a huge fees lover, but could kind of understand, could appreciate it. So when I came into her building with my laptop and my little teeny tiny endoscope, she was shocked. She was like, this image is beautiful compared to the image I had forever ago. And she's like, the scope is so much smaller compared to the scope that I had to shove down my patient's noses. And so it, it was, I love talking to her because it was interesting to hear her perspective of what the equipment used to be like, and, you know, like you said, how not portable it is. And now we have these things that are little suitcases that we towed around and they're light and portable with these beautiful HD images. You know, and, and I think you bring up a great point kind of getting slightly off, off subject here, but, you know, as people are going out and purchasing equipment, they really need to consider what environment and for whom is this equipment being purchased for? Because some of these, actually it's kind of shocking to me when I see people talk about getting brand new fees systems and they've got these big tower units they're rolling down the halls in yeah. 2018. I mean, that is not what fees should necessarily right. be about. Um, you know, if you're buying a system to do swallowing assessments, I think, uh, size and portability and ease of getting something from one place to another should absolutely be considered. And those, those big tower units are wonderful for what they do, but, but what they're 
best at are, is producing super high quality images because most of those big tower units are um, for ENT or pulmonology or or whatever you know you're, that that type of use, and um, it's in many ways defeating the purpose for fees to have systems yeah. that huge. I mean, the smaller the better, as long as they're functional. Right. In my opinion, that's that's what I think we should be looking for in in uh, in providing yeah. fees. And I'll just say another another point along those lines is. I know you, a lot of people like that work in hospitals will reach out to us and want to know what equipment they should buy or, you know, anything like that. But, but we always tell them to first, you know, go communicate with your sterile processing department and see if they're going to be the ones to process the scope or if you're going to have the wow. ability to do it yourself. Because some endoscope, some fees systems aren't compatible with some specific right. cleaning systems that some hospitals use. So that's kind of step one. I know in that episode with Selena, yes. I talked a lot about that. Some hospitals are will purchase this equipment. They can't right. clean them. And now they have a shiny new coat rack because it's useless. <laughs> I mean, I can, th I can think of a major, major hospital system in Georgia that had years where their equipment sat in closets unused because they couldn't figure out how to get the equipment from one location to another yeah. due to cleaning protocols. So those are issues that need to be thought out right. first. Um, and, you know, we could talk about that all day. I don't know if this is, if that's what we want to talk about in, in this chat or not, but just know that um, how you're going to clean is very important uh, depending yeah. on what setting, what setting you're in and what your expectations are um, uh, moving you know, as you move forward with the program. Yep. I guess I will say, cause I didn't realize we didn't, we didn't include this in our talk last week, but then so many people kept asking me at the break about it is, you know, what's the best way to clean the scope and the absolute best way to clean your scope is to follow yeah. your manufacturer's, manufacturer's recommendations. Recommendations. Yeah. That's what, that is what, um, Jayco was looking for when, when you do cleaning. I think where the confusion kind of kicks in is making sure that um, all the minutia of those recommendations gets, gets followed, you know, making sure you're things like, um, are you gloving appropriately? Uh, how are you handling disinfection of say the outside of a laptop that may be involved in your system? Um, how are you transporting appropriately a dirty scope? Yep. Those minutia items are, are things that, that um, I think get people tricked up and that, you know, you have to work through and develop, you know, a protocol um, of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Uh, that's pretty inflexible in order to always be on target. Yep. It's doable. It's doable and people shouldn't be afraid of it. But you've just you you've got to be um, you've got to have that you've got to have that protocol developed around your manufacturer's recommendations, and you've you've got to follow it, and you've got to be able to demonstrate it when requested. Yep. Just that simple. Yeah, I think what was funny was when the girl came up and asked me the question about like what's the best way to clean the scope, and I said, well, which scope do you have? And she didn't know. So I'd say right. that's step one, figure out what company, <laughs> what brand right. you have, and then right. 
you can use this thing called Google and find the right. manufacturer's recommendations, find right. the manual, find the user's manual, um, and those directions should be in there, and that's what you should be using. So that's really all I think we should get into with that because I, you know, there are a lot of different brands on the market, and there isn't a best way to clean all the scopes. They each have their own specific protocols that were passed and approved. So that's what you should yeah. use. Possibly different set of chemicals, yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.